have just a couple quick announcements uh, before we get started and go into the Word. As many of you know, this next Saturday is the Venison Dinner, and there are still sign-up sheets. They still are in need of some volunteers, some help. So if you are able to help either with setup Thursday, uh, I think Thursday and Friday there's some setup, uh, or actually help with the dinner itself uh, on Saturday serving, that would be great. Just go ahead and sign up. Uh, also, if you have tickets that you purchased that you are not going to be able to use, uh, if you could call the office, we have a waiting list of people who want those tickets, and we would like to match you up, and we won't even charge a finder's fee or anything for hooking the two of you up. We just want uh, all of the tickets to be used. Um, also, we are starting uh, February 12th. Uh, several have asked about this in the past. And uh, the wave has gotten so much uh, that I had to, to kind of bow and, and give way to it. Um, Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey, uh, is, uh, we are going to start a group starting February 12th. The cost is $99, and most people go, ah, $99? Okay, you waste $99 because you don't follow Ramsey's principles. So if you get on Ramsey's principles, it will pay for itself. Okay, but it's $99 for all of the material that you will need um, to really reorganize structure uh, on basic biblical principles of finances. That sign-up is also out there. Um, it is limited with space availability, so we only have room for about 13 or 14 people. So if you are wanting to attend that, uh, you need to sign up and, uh, uh, quickly. So the sign-up sheet for that is also uh, out there. And apparently, I didn't realize it, but we're in budget cuts with the worship. I'm going to be needing another one of those for second service, but uh, that's all right. Well, let's, uh, let's bow for a word of prayer and then uh, dive into the New Testament. Father, we are thankful that you are a God, that you are a God of truth, a God of wisdom. And Father, you have called us to live lives of truth, to live lives of wisdom. And uh, so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit would come and fill this place, uh, begin moving among us and in us and through us as individuals and as a church. Lord, may your name be glorified uh, in this place this morning. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Denny and I, as you know, uh, over the last couple of weeks, are taking several weeks now and unpacking the meaning of our mission statement. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to say it with me. How many of you know the mission statement without looking at your bulletin? Bob, good. Bob Tom. Pastor Bob knows what it is. I'm going to invite the rest of you to take your, your bulletin out and say it with me. We are a people who will be transformed by faith, growing in wisdom, intentional in relationships, and service. Denny spent the last two weeks, and really, Denny and I both chuckled when we said, let's take two weeks on each of these, because you could take six weeks on each of these and still not cover it all. Uh, and he has been talking about transformed by faith. And I want to just review quickly uh, so that we can, because each of these statements, transformed by faith, growing in wisdom, intentional in relationships and service, build on one another. And we can't really focus on one without focusing on all of them, uh, because they all work hand-in-hand hand with each other. 
So when we talk about transformed by faith, when we are saying that, that we are being transformed, we talk of a metamorphosis. We are being changed like that caterpillar in the cocoon. Okay, it, there is a, is a supernatural thing that happens to us when we are transformed by faith. It is a sudden change. And, and what we're talking about here really is the salvation experience. That when we come to know the Lord, when we, when we by faith accept Jesus as Savior, when we accept the truth that we are sinners and that we, we need someone to die for us, that we need someone to pay that penalty, that we owe a debt that we cannot pay and we accept by faith that Jesus will pay that debt, we are transformed. We are changed. Everything about us is different from that point on. One other uh, author even describes that the transformation as a revolution, that revolution and transformation are synonymous. Those words are, are very closely related, that there is a revolution that goes on inside of us. Transformation and salvation occurs when, when we align our heart, our soul, and our mind with God. That by faith we accept the truth claims of God in his word and, and we begin to live according to those because we're changed. Everything about us is changed. The way we think is different. The way we act is different. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Okay, you were taught with regard to the way you used to be to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That's the way you were. That your old self was being corrupted by, by the, the way in which you live, by that sin nature that was driving you, that was creating desires within you that were not leading you down a path of holiness or righteousness, but leading you towards destruction. We were told to, to be in regard to the former way of life to put that off and to be made new in the attitude of your mind. That's transformation. That's the change. Put off the old being made new and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Romans chapter 12, which uh, Justin quoted a little bit ago, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be morphed into something else by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good perfect, and pleasing will. Our standing before God has changed. That when we were once a lost sinner, we are now a saved saint. That God looks at us differently. From the old self to the new self, from the sin nature to the new Christ-like nature. Both of these scriptures in Ephesians and Romans speak of that transformation or that change of our mind. A change of attitude, a change of thinking. We think differently than we did before. There is an expectation that followers of Christ think differently than the rest of the world. We think differently about certain subjects. We think differently about uh, different, uh, the way we look at people. We think differently about humanity. And those thoughts result in acting differently, and those actions lead to different attitudes. I've listed 10 categories that I think, they're in your, in your, uh, in your uh, sermon notes. I've listed 10 categories that I think are key that Christians begin to think about and understand. Because you, you, you have to understand that when we, someone says God the Father, Christians need to think differently about that than the world does. 
Christians need to think differently about God the Son than the world thinks. Christians need to have a different thought process, a different understanding about the Holy Spirit than the world does. Christians need to think about man, humankind, different than the world does. We think differently about evil than the world does. We define evil differently than the world does. We think about church, eternity. All 10 of those categories are something that we as believers need to think differently about than the world. And very importantly, we need to think about. We need to understand. We need to know. Are are we ever gonna fully understand the depths of God the Father? No, but that's a goal. That's a goal that we need to be working toward. Are we ever going to fully understand the church and how it? No. But we need to go deeper into our understanding of the church. Each of those categories, we need to transform our mind, transform our thinking. And now we're considering not only the next phrase from our vision statement, but the next stage of spiritual development. Now we're actually talking about growing in wisdom. Before we said we're just changed, we're transformed, we've put off the old self, we've put on the new self, this Christ-like nature that is within us. And now there's an expectation that we're not going to stay that way, we're going to grow, we're going to develop, we're going to grow in our thinking, we're going to grow in our attitudes, we're going to grow in our love, because love basically is is the foundation of all of this. What does it mean to be growing Denny kind of alluded to that last week when he talked about the baby and needing changed and, you know, babies grow and there's natural. And, and everybody loves a baby. They're cute. Babies are cute. Even that pink little wrinkly, now moms and dads find them cuter than the rest of us. Uh, you know, my kids were the three cutest babies ever from the moment they came into this world. Back Mackenzie, she, we should have learned a lot during the delivery process of my middle one. Because when the head, and those of you who've seen this won't be grossed out, the rest of you will. When the head came through and just her head was in this world, sorry, picture, I know. (laughs) I was there, I saw it. When her head came into this world, up her eyes opened and she looked around the room. I should have known right there this is going to be the most inquisitive, creative, get-into-everything kid that there is. Take on the world. But babies are cute. And, and many times we say, what a cute little baby. But nobody likes a four-year-old that acts like a baby. We don't say, what a cute little baby to a four-year-old. Because there's an expectation there. And nobody loves a 12-year-old who acts like a four-year-old. You sat next to them in the restaurant. You didn't say, what a cute 12-year-old over there throwing that fit. No, because there was an expectation that the 12-year-old wasn't going to act like a four-year-old anymore. And nobody likes, maybe I shouldn't say likes, nobody respects a 30-year-old who acts like a teenager. And that line is pretty fuzzy because it's kind of like once we get them through high school, well, they're just adults. 
and then we have expectations, but, but we don't really talk about them, and the, and the line is blurred, but, but nobody can respect a 30-year-old who still acts like a 14, 15, 16-year-old. Why? Because there is an expectation that people will grow up, that people will mature from infants to adulthood. There's expectations of a four-year-old. They're not the same expectations of a 12-year-old that aren't the same expectations of an 18-year-old that aren't the same expectations of a 30-year-old. But there are expectations. At some point, we no longer say, what a cute little baby. And we just want to say, just grow up. And what is true physically is also true spiritually. There's nothing more energizing to me than a new believer. There's nothing more energizing than a, than a new believer who everything about God is brand new. That their eyes have been opened to truth and truth is new and they, and they just absorb it. They're like a sponge. But there's nothing more aggravating than a 30-year-old acting like a four-year-old believer. That's disappointing to me. It's not what a cute new believer anymore. It's just grow up. And that's what growing in wisdom is all about. That's what this next phrase of a mission statement is talking about. Moving from infant believer, spiritually infant, spiritual baby, to mature adult. It's a process, and it's a process we all need to be on. Because it's hard to respect a 30-year believer who acts like a teenager, who doesn't know who doesn't understand, who, who still struggles with the elementary, the same things they struggled with before, that they've not seen victory in their life, that we will mature in our understanding of who God is, that we will move from the elementary teachings, the childish things, and move on to the deeper things, the mature teaching. That's an expectation. First Corinthians Paul had that expectation. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, the mature teaching. The spirit wants to reveal that. And we have to be, we have to be ready and, and, and go through the process of, of being able to receive the deeper things. You know, I've, I've taught classes, a truth project is one of them, where, where some people have said, you know, they've started into, the, into that and they said, you know, it just it was over my head. I get that. But what are you doing so that a year from now it's not over your head? What are you doing so that the elementary things, you can handle the deep things of God? Are you putting yourself back and, and hopefully that's just an eye-opening experience that, whoa, I wasn't ready for this deep. I better back up. What am I ready for? How do I get there? How do I get to the deep things of God? Not just say, whoop, not for me. That's irritating. 30-year-old acting like a teenager. Not ready for the deep things of God. Peter says it. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted what the Lord is good. Now that you've been transformed, crave that spiritual milk. Crave the things of God in an elementary way, but don't stay there. Don't stay with the milk. 
You've got to move on. You've got to get the squishy food out of the bottle. It's not completely liquid, but it's kind of liquid. And it doesn't taste good always. Baby food. But you've got to have that. It's the process then that you move to solid foods. And, and, and you cut the solid food up, mom and dads, into little itty-bitty pieces so that it's easy to eat and chew and swallow. But then there comes a point to where the 12-year-old can take a bite. You don't have to cut it up for them anymore. They need to learn to cut it themselves. How many of you still cut your meat up for your 18-year-old? How many of you still cook for your 18-year-old? Okay? There comes a point where they need to do that for themselves. If they're going to be normal within this process, if they're going to mature at a, at a normal process. Spiritually, we need to learn to feed ourselves, move beyond the bottle, and get to the meat. Growth is expected. Maturing is expected. Staying a new believer who knows very little about God is unacceptable. It's not normal. It might be the majority, but that doesn't make it normal. It's not what God intended. So what does it mean to grow in wisdom? Wisdom comes from the Greek word Sophia. And there are two sides to wisdom. One is theoretical. And one is just understanding things. It's content. We, we gain knowledge, and that knowledge adds to our wisdom, our ability to know and process that knowledge. And so in one sense, wisdom is theoretical. It's, just, it's gaining more knowledge, more content. But it can't stop there. Because there are some that are stunted in their growth because they know so much. I say there are some people who are so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. That they are, their head is so wrapped up into all of the truth, all of the content, that they've, they've been unable to process it into everyday life. That's the other side of wisdom. It's theoretical, content, theory, but it's also practical, living it out. That true wisdom is taking the knowledge and then living it, putting feet to it, putting flesh to it. It's the ability to understand the outcomes. If, if this, if God says this and if this is true, then I need to live like this. And there's no question there's just, if this is true, then I need to be like this. I need to think this way. I need, I need to love this way. I need to treat this person this way because this is true. That's wisdom. Taking the, theory, the, the, the truth, the theory of truth, and living it out in a practical way. That's growing, and we grow in that. We grow in that. Growing in wisdom is both a love for understanding, moving beyond the elementary truths that faith accepted and transformed us with, and a practical living out of those truths. I don't think this next statement is going to be earth-shaking at all. Our actions have consequences. Anybody disagree with that? Because raising your hand is going to have a consequence. Our actions have consequences. We teach our kids that, don't we? Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge to situations and perceive the consequence, whether it be good or bad. Wisdom is the ability to take the truth that we have acquired, <clears throat> look at the situation and understand what the outcome is going to be, and then make the right choice being able to see the outcome. That's maturity. 
There's not too many 10, 11, and 12-year-olds that can do that. They, don't, they haven't acquired enough knowledge, enough life knowledge, truth, to be able to understand outcomes. Mature can. That's growing in wisdom, the ability to see the outcome, to, to discern good and evil, to discern right action from wrong action because we understand where this is going to lead. We understand the outcomes. Loving wisdom not only are we commanded to love wisdom, but it's the simplest definition of philosophy. And, and most of us don't like philosophy. In fact, a lot of people think that people who like philosophy are more heavenly good than, or more, uh, their, their heads are so in the clouds that they're of no earthly good. That's not true. You know what philosophy, if you break that down into the two Greek words, is phileo? meaning to love, and Sophia, wisdom. Philosophy is just the love of wisdom. It's just the love of the ability to take truth and apply it into practical ways. That's philosophy. Now, that's not how the world necessarily defines philosophy. But because we're new believers and we're transformed, our our understanding of philosophy is different. That we are to be lovers of philosophy, That transformed by faith means changing our mind, thinking differently, becoming studiers of God. In fact, we become theologians. How many of you would consider yourself a theologian? How many of you have ever studied anything about God? Show me your hands. Anybody studied anything about God? You know what theology means? The study of God. Anyone who just raised their hands, you're a theologian. And anyone who loves wisdom is a philosopher. In fact, those are two incredibly great words to think of as we go through this process of growing in wisdom. That we are all theologians and we're all to be philosophers. That we are all to to study God and to love wisdom. Because wisdom comes from where? God. He's the giver of wisdom. And so, so this process to... that we're to grow in wisdom is the the study of God and the love of wisdom, the love of truth, and the ability then to to, to live it out, to take the practical, uh, to take the the deep things of God and make them practical that, that people can see. Growing in wisdom means putting that knowledge into action. Transformed by faith means we are all theologians. Growing in wisdom means we're all philosophers. As we grow, our lives begin to exemplify, begins to become a witness to the knowledge and wisdom of God, that the world can begin to see the truth of God by the way we live our lives. But only if we're mature and growing, because many times if they're going to see the truth about God, but we're 30 and we're living like a four-year-old or a 12-year-old, they're not going to see the truth. They're going to see it slightly twisted. Because we're not where we need to be. And so we have a great responsibility to be growing. The Bible says we are living stones in the building that Jesus is the foundational stone. Jesus has laid the foundation of truth. As we looked at last week, he's given everything, he's given us everything we need to live godly lives, for, for godliness and holiness. He's given us everything. He's laid that perfect foundation, and now he is building a building that the world can see what truth is, and each of us are the bricks in that building. 
And so our brick needs to grow to the point to where we are great examples of what the foundation is. You see, because the world doesn't see the foundation. In, in very few houses do you actually get to see the foundation from the outside. If you're inside, you can study the foundation. You can see it. But from an outsider looking at the house, they're only judging the entire structure by the bricks they see. And so we may be building on an incredible foundation, Jesus Christ, but if our brick doesn't exemplify the truth, the practical side of who Jesus is, then the world's going to have a different view of him, a wrong view of him. And so our lives need to be witnesses of who God is. That transformation has to be followed up in a growing, maturing process so that our brick looks like the foundation and not some cheap imitation of the foundation. So the question for this morning is, why should I be concerned about growing? I've already been transformed. I'm in heaven. I have security that, that when I, if I died today, I would be in heaven. Great, fantastic, don't stop there. Jesus never, never ended with that. And if really all you want is to get to heaven, and many people say, you know, don't you have anything that will allow me to just accept the grace and then slide on through? Nope. I've got nothing in the scripture for that. We need to transform that thinking to where I've now accepted, now I want to grow. I want to be the best brick ever. I want to be the brick that, that looks just like the foundation. I need to grow in my understanding. I need to understand the deep things. I need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to teach me those things. I need to put myself in positions where I can, can take that in and, and positions where I can live it out. That's why I need to be transformed by faith, growing in wisdom, and then intentional in my relationships and service because I gotta put myself in places where I can live out the wisdom that I am learning because I am transformed. See, they all go together. We can't focus on one without talking about the other two. Let me give you four reasons why you need to be concerned about your spiritual growth. Number one, you're going to be ineffective and unproductive in life if you stay immature. If you're content with being a four-year-old, 12-year-old, 18-year-old, if you're content with where you are, even if you're mature, even if you're 30, acting like a 30-year-old, don't be content with that because you will become in the future, ineffective and unproductive. Why do I say that? I don't. Peter does. Second Peter chapter 1 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. You could go right through there and say, transformed by faith, growing in wisdom, intentional in relationships and service. That's all of that goodness, knowledge, perseverance, self-control. That's what that's saying. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, newborn to four, four to 12, 12 to 18, 18 to 30, 30 to 50, 50 to 80, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. If anyone does not have them, if we are not growing, 
we will be stuck in a salvation revolving door. I hope I'm saved. I'll go forward and accept Christ again. Then we go out and we don't grow and we're immature and then we hit a snag in our life and we're reminded, oh yeah, Jesus is the answer. I'll go and give my life to Christ again. That's what Peter is saying. He says, you will have forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. You'll forgotten, you'll forget that you've been transformed and you'll go right back and live the old way and then you're gonna hit a snag and you're gonna wonder what happened and you're gonna give yourself to Christ again and you're not gonna grow and then you're gonna wonder what happened and you're gonna give yourself to the Lord again and then you're not gonna grow. Anybody wanna be on that treadmill? Grow in wisdom. Increasing measure your knowledge, add to your knowledge so that you can add self-control and perseverance and all of these other things so that you can grow up. If you do not, C.S. Lewis says, if you did not, do not listen to theology, that will not mean that you have no ideas about God. It will mean that you will have a lot of wrong ones. If we're theologians. We need to study truth about God. Growing in wisdom will make my life more productive and more meaningful. Number two, growing in wisdom, you, if you don't grow in wisdom, you will lack understanding. You'll have far more questions than you have answers. And to me, the mature believers, believers are to be the ones the world is coming to with questions because we have the answers. God has given us his truth in written form, bound, leather bound for some but he's given it to us. He's given us his truth. We should be the ones who are not asking questions. We should be the ones that are answering them. Why is our government all messed up financially? Well, we have the answers right here. Run it this way and it won't be messed up. Why is there such moral decay in our, in our, in our uh, culture? Well, I got the answer right here. We have the answers if we are growing in wisdom. If we are not, then we're going to lack understanding. If we're not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness, you have to constantly go back and review the basics. You have to constantly go back and build on those truths. At some point, though, you need to move from one plus one equals two, and you need to begin understanding that A squared plus B squared equals C squared and how to apply it in life. Because if all we know is one and one is two, okay, I, I need something more than that. The world needs something more than that out of believers as far as what truth is. They need to have someone be able to explain to them why A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Number three, the church will be lacking. You understand if... if if you as an individual is lacking, if you've been transformed and you're not growing, then the church isn't growing. Because the church is individuals. And if, if everyone was growing, everyone in the church was growing at your rate or had your rate of knowledge, where would we be? Well, some of you would say we'd be pretty well off. Some of you would say we'd be in trouble. I want to be really well off spiritually. I want the church to be, to be strong, to be a, a, a light in the community, a place where people say, you know what? That place has the answers. That place is doing something right. 
I don't know what it is. I don't know. They think differently up there. You better go check that out. They're making an impact on this world that I've never seen done before. But the church will be lacking. When the members don't grow, the church doesn't grow. And we are not talking numbers. I'm talking depth and breadth. Not just numbers. I'm not a numbers guy. I'm a depth guy. I want to know that we're deep. I want to know that we, that we wrestle with those things. Hebrews chapter 5 Remember when Paul said that you you need to crave that spiritual milk? The writer of Hebrews says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. The writer of Hebrews is saying, yeah, Paul's right. You got to crave spiritual milk, but you got to move on. And the writer of Hebrews was coming back and saying, you know, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be people not with questions, but with answers. And he said, here I am, I'm finding I've got to go back and, and re, refill the bottles. That's unacceptable. That's, that's not how it's supposed to work. He said, you, you, ought, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. By constant use have trained themselves, have taken the knowledge, taken the truth that they have gained because they've been able to feed themselves the truth. And then they've been flip side and been able to make it practical and discern good from evil. That's mature. That's the expectation that the writer of Hebrews had. I would never play. I have the privilege of working with the varsity basketball team uh, for Butler, the boys, uh, with, with Matt and, uh, and the other coaches. And I also have the privilege of helping with my son's sixth grade team. And I'll tell you, it's really hard for me to go straight from practice with the varsity team to practice with the sixth graders. And I've had to remind myself they're not the same. They're not at the same level. And the things that I can expect the varsity team to do, I can't expect the sixth graders to do. They just have not matured in their basketball skill or knowledge. They're not going to know to just do those things. And so I would never play the varsity squad against my sixth grade squad. Never. That would just be dumb. One, it wouldn't be any usefulness to the, the varsity squad. And it would just be demeaning and demoralizing to the sixth grade squad. And how many of you have ever sat and watched a second grade basketball team play a game where they keep score? Final score is like three to two. Well, two to two, two to one, four to two, because they don't hit threes and they can't hit a foul shot. But we enjoy watching second graders. They're fun to watch play basketball, not because it's good basketball, but because, oh, isn't that cute? No one has ever said that at a varsity game. Do you see how he dribbled that off his foot? Wasn't that cute? No, that's aggravating. By the varsity level, they ought to be able to know how to dribble without dribbling it off their foot. Second graders are cute. Varsity, not so much. Irritating. 
If the church is not going to be lacking, we need to move in our progression and our skills and our wisdom and how we live it out. It's cute when a new believer makes a mistake. It's not cute when a mature believer does. When, when they ought to know better. So while Peter says to new believers, crave the spiritual milk, Paul is saying, don't keep on a diet of simple truth. There should come a time when we are challenged to think deeper. When we wrestle with what Paul tells the Corinthians in the verse we read earlier, the deep things of God, when we wrestle with those. And the last thing is, bottom line, it's your responsibility. No one can do this for you. No one can want this for you. It will require discipline. You're going to hear me say next week that without discipline, there is no disciple. Without discipline, there is no disciple. This is why at the moment of salvation, God moves into your life, giving us the Holy Spirit as a permanent resident to help in the ongoing transformation and, and help in the growing process, that the Holy Spirit moves in and from within begins to teach us those deep things. The Holy Spirit's going to take us on a journey to the deep things of God. That's his, that's his destination. That's where he wants us to go, revealing more and more of who he is. Helping us to understand and discover his will for our life. Because then we'll be able to, dis to discern his good, perfect, and pleasing will. You know what it means to me when someone comes up and says, I, need, I just wish I knew what God's will was for my life? It means they're probably not real mature. It means they're probably back in those 12, 13, 14-year-old thinking spiritually. And that's all right if that's where you are. we got to move you on. We've got to get you deeper in the process. We've got to get you maturing. That the Holy Spirit wants to lead us moment by moment, being able to sense that leading, to strengthen our faith. God will do it, but we have a part to play. Each one of us must want it. You have to want it. You have to desire growth. And you have to be willing to become disciplined to grow. I tell my kids all the time, Mackenzie playing uh, running cross country and track the two mile, and there are times when, when, you know, she just doesn't feel like running. And I get aggravated because I see the ability and the potential. And I, and I tell her, I said, you know what? I can't want it for you. I can't want it more than you want it to be successful, to be good, to be mature, to be an incredible runner. If I want it more than you, I'm only going to get frustrated. I tell my son the same thing in basketball. I can't want you to be good at basketball more than you want to be good at basketball. Well, folks, I can't want you to grow spiritually more than you want to grow spiritually because I'm only going to get frustrated. You're going to be happy being a 12-year-old. Mature will be irritated. You have to take responsibility for your own spiritual growth. Think about the people these words of Paul and Peter were written to. Think about the, the early believers. They didn't have the word. All they had were, were letters from Peter and Paul, which we now have, but they, they didn't have them all. They would read them and they'd get passed on. They, someone would have to write them down. They weren't readily accessible to the people. All they had was the Holy Spirit within them. And Paul said, go with that. 
Peter said, grow in that. Become reliant. Become dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They had each other. They had their own faith. And, and Peter and Paul said, grow in that. Today, we have so much more that helps us grow. As a church, our responsibility as leaders is to provide opportunities for growth. And, and we do that. Your responsibility is to make use of them. That's why we have Truth Project. Not because it's a great video, but because it's the deep things of God. That's why we offer Financial Peace University. Not because Dave Ramsey is a genius. There were people that were living those principles long before Dave Ramsey, when he was still thousands of dollars in the debt, people had figured that out. Because it's truth. That's why we offer starting point. Because you say, you know what? I, I'm a four-year-old. You know what? I'm on the outside looking in. I know absolutely nothing. Okay, let's start there and let's, let's build on that. Wherever you are, we're, we're offering opportunities, small groups, Sunday school. But we can't want it more than you do. You've got to desire to grow. You've got to want it. That's my challenge this morning. Do you want it? Do you want to grow? Do you want to go deeper than where you are right now? It's gut check time. Maybe it's brain check time. Where are you in your spiritual growing up? Are you the infant believer where everything is new and exciting, you're taking it all in? Great. Are you the childlike believer where you're learning basic truths, stories, and principles? Great. Maybe you're, you're the Peter Pan believer and you're refusing to grow up. Not so great. You're the mature believer and you say, you know what? I'm ready to teach. I'm ready to lead. I, I want to take a group of of these new believers, of these childlike believers, and I want to help them come through the process. I want them to, to travel the road that I've traveled on. I want them to understand truth the way I've understood truth. That's the goal. That's where we need to all get. The writer of Hebrews said, by now you ought to all be teachers, but you're not. The goal is we should be, get there. We should be mature. But where are you? And more importantly, where do you want to go? Next week, I'm going to give a little more practical. How do I grow? How do I do that? Let's say I answered yes to your question, I want to grow. How do I grow? If you want to grow spiritually, you come back next week. Okay? If you don't want to grow, don't come back next week. Bottom line. Because just, just stay at home. Because you're only going to be frustrated by what I have to say if you don't want to grow. I hope I see you next week. Let's pray. Father, this morning you've challenged. You've challenged every single one of us, believer, unbeliever, mature, infant, childlike. You've shown us that there's more of you to understand. There's more of you to live out. There is, there is a depth that none of us have experienced yet. Father, would you, would you in your Holy Spirit Prick our hearts, prick our minds. Show us where we are. Paint us a very vivid picture within our own hearts of where you want us to be, individually and as a church. Father, that we would not be ineffective and unproductive as believers. Father, send us with your truth. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Chew on these things. Think on these things. Have a great week, and we will see you back next week.